Good morning, LifePoint. How are y'all? Wonderful. Apologies for daylight savings time, but um, there's nothing I could do. I put in a petition to President Obama, but apparently that just, he didn't change it for this year. So this is where we are. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you have your phone apps, you can slide that on, turn those on. And let me just say this. You might want to look at the title uh, in your bulletin here and just take note, especially parents, uh, that this is a topic on love, sex, and dating. And so if you have uh, a kid or someone, that, uh, a child, you may not want to hear something that comes out of 1 Corinthians 6 and 7 where Paul deals pretty frankly and directly with human sexuality and marriage and those kind of things, um, now would be a good time to kind of scoot them out, take them to LPK, or if you want to send students to Fusion, that would be great too. Uh, just as a little disclaimer before we get going, um, uh, just in, in the event that you're here today. So disclaimers officially out there, and we'll kind of get rolling here. As you're opening up your Bibles and turning on your phone apps, let me set up the context for this morning. Remember, we are in a sermon series called Love Is, and the working definition we've been operating with is that love is giving of yourself, especially when it's inconvenient. The type of love that Jesus demonstrates, what we see clearly in Ephesians 5, is that love is giving of yourself, and especially when it's inconvenient. That love is very inconvenient at times, and it requires you to be humble and to serve other people and to treat them uh, with respect and care. And the way I wanna uh, look at love today, or the aspect I wanna look at, is the idea of love and human sexuality. Uh, meaning, um, we're gonna talk about sex, and we're gonna talk about what the Bible talks about, about sex. In fact, I'm not gonna talk about much, I'm just gonna read what Paul has to say, and then really make some commentary and some application uh, here today uh, on that topic. But sex is something that affects all of human experience. It's a, it's a crucial, a significant component of the human experience. Every human being has some type of sexual layer to them and they explore that and they um, think about that or they try not to think about that and they spend a lot of time kind of grappling with this, especially in adolescent years and young years. And I just wanna make sure today that we are biblically rooted in our idea of sex that what we're not doing is taking the culture's view of sexuality and importing it into our kind of Christian spirituality. But instead what we're saying is let's start with what the Bible says about sex and then let's move forward and we'll, we'll think about how culture approaches sex kind of secondarily, but let the Bible have privilege. And I'm gonna talk about this today uh, kind of on, uh, with, well, with, I'll say this, with two goals in mind. Number one, that number one, you would apply that to yourself, that this would be something you can apply to your own life, wherever you are, whatever age you're at today. But secondarily, that you'd be able to apply this uh, as you're doing ministry. Um, maybe you're a life group leader or, uh, you know, we don't have Sunday school here, but you kind of teach classes or do something. And you may have students or young adults or older adults who are struggling with human sexuality. And you may need to speak into that moment. And I want to make sure you're equipped and ready to go to speak into that. So if this is something where you're, you're hearing what Paul is saying and you're hearing my commentary and you're just kind of nodding your head like, yeah, I got this, great. I just wanna say this, great, good job. Keep applying Paul's truth from scripture, keep doing that. But uh, if it's not hitting you immediately, if it's not the most significant thing you've ever heard, then I want you to think in your mind about someone who may come to you and ask you for advice on this topic. And I want you to be prepared. My suspicion is, is that no matter where you are, this is something that's relevant for you today, and it's something that you're gonna be able to apply today, um, right now in your own life. And so as we get ready to weigh into that, let me make two cultural observations to set the context for why we are talking about this. Here's the first cultural observation about 21st century um, in America presently. 
Number one, I think we wrongly associate three terms and we make them synonymous with one another. And the three terms are this, love, romance, and sex. And I think in 21st century culture, we just hear broadcast all the time on billboards and media and everything, uh, on television programs, that if you love somebody, you're romantic with them, like all the time. Romance is love, and if you're not feeling romantic, then you don't have love, and therefore that just kind of works together. Likewise, if you love somebody, you have sex with them, and if you don't have sex with them, then you don't love them, and if you don't, aren't romantic, you're not going to have sex, and if you have sex, you're being romantic, and those, those terms just get equalized in our common conversation. I just want to make sure we admit this and understand that going in, that the Bible has a significantly different angle on those three topics and does not necessarily equate them all as being the same thing. So I just want to make sure I say that up front, number one. Number two is this. We exist in the 21st century in America in a cultural context that uses sex as a cure-all for everything, it's like this wonder drug, or it's, it's like this Swiss army knife, and we use it for a variety of reasons. And I just took note of a, a few of them here. Uh, number one, we use it medicinally, uh, meaning you see in popular film, just to, to make a point, someone comes home, they're tired, and they're, you know, they're just, they've had a hard day, and they're like, man, this is really rough. I just had a really rough week. You know what I need right now? I need sex, right? Sex is like, it's like, man, you know what would go really well? It's like, a cold beer and sex. I need that medicinally for my life in order to help me recover from a hard week. And you see this happen over and over and over again in every TV show and every sitcom and every film, so much so that it's just a cultural assumption today that sex is something we use medicinally to help us feel better and to feel happy about our individual lives. Or think about it like this, we use sex recreationally. And this became popular in the 60s, that sex is no longer restricted to kind of uh, marriage bedrooms, sex is now something we just casually move into and we just use it recreationally. Um, we, we've created apps like Tinder. If you know any about that, there's an app called Tinder, which is all about recreational sex. It's just who's around me, who wants to have sex? Let me get on my app, find out who's around me. Are you interested in me? Swipe right. Okay, cool. Now we can have sex. So it's just a hookup app because we have a hookup culture that just thinks about sex primarily recreationally. And the third way we, we tend to think about sex just as a panacea is we use it as a marketing tool. Just think about how many advertisements you've seen that use sex to sell their product, especially the ones that have nothing to do with that product. Um, the most notable one that comes to mind for me is GoDaddy, the web hosting domain site. Uh, a few years ago in the Super Bowl, put a lot of money into their big Super Bowl halftime uh, commercial. And, and again, just think about the boardroom here. GoDaddy is a website software kind of, or website hosting company. So their product is http colon slash slash www.yourdomain.com or .org or .co or .me or whatever, right? You go to godaddy.com and you scroll, it's like, what website do you want? And you put in your name, they're like, sorry, that's not available. How about yourname.co? Sounds great, $3.99 a year, perfect, I'll purchase it. That's the whole buying experience. Nothing appealing about that experience, right? As I'm saying it right now, you guys, your eyes are glossing over. You're like, this is the most boring thing in the world, which it is, and GoDaddy knows this. And that's why a couple years ago in the boardroom, they are like, hmm, websites aren't, uh, they're not appealing. What could be appealing? What if we have bikini models selling websites? That's appealing. And so their whole Super Bowl commercial was just these bikini models are like, would you like to buy a website? Click here, right? And like for more, go to our website and you can see us, you know, in bikinis or whatever. And, and that's their whole appeal. Well, what are we doing? We're using sex as a tool to sell things. 
And, and everybody is using sex to sell things now. And so what we hear by watching commercials, participating in commercial advertising, is that we understand that sex is just this thing that's everywhere. We talk about it all the time. It's always around us. And it's unrestricted. We're never meant to just focus our sex lives in any particular area. There's no channel. There's no pathway. There's nothing like that. And, and that vision that's broadcast in 21st century America stands in direct contrast to what the Bible says. And here's the thing. It's not that the Bible wants to come along. It's not that Paul wants to come along and go, oh, all you people are having fun over there. Stop that, right? The Bible is not the old deacon in the church that's like, stop running in the hallways. This is, this is not what's happening. Instead, what's happening is the Bible's saying this. Listen, when you have unrestricted sex, when you don't, sex is this beautiful gift that God has given to human beings and it's like this fire, right? And with a fire, the fire can either heat your house or it can burn your house to the ground. And the difference is in how you contain fire, right? And the same thing's true of sex. Sex can either heat up your house or it can burn your house, it can burn your life to the ground and it's all in how you contain it. And so Paul wants to come along and he wants to love on us from scripture and say, here's how you contain sex and here's how it leads you to a life where you value and treasure Christ most among all things. And that's where we're gonna go today. And that's what we're gonna talk about. So why don't you pray with me and we'll get going. Jesus, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for inspiring Paul to write this letter to the first, uh, the first letter of the Corinthians. Uh, and I pray that you would teach us much about human sexuality and love and specifically how we can uh, contain it in such a way as to bring you the most glory and the most good for our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So a little bit of background on 1 Corinthians in case you guys haven't, you know, read it recently. Um, Corinthians is a letter, it's the first letter that Paul wrote to this church that he helped to plant in the, in the town of Corinth. Uh, Corinth is in Greece. And in the 50s AD, Corinth is probably like a New York City type city, if you think about it. The major means of industry is um, through trade, through shipping. And so you, you, um, you would have to ship goods from one market to another market. And so if you lived in a seaport town, that was probably going to be an economically well-off town, which Corinth is. So it's a seaport town. It's very wealthy. Uh, it's a melting pot of a number of cultures. It's very cosmopolitan. And your average Corinthian person, your average Corinthian citizen, tends to think of themselves as a very sophisticated person. And so when they think about sexuality, they, they, they think in terms of, well, I'm sophisticated. So these old school, these kind of antiquated views of sexual, uh, human sexuality is, that's just bad. We're sophisticated. We're free to do these other things. We're free with our mind. We're very reasoned. And so this is just, this is something that permeates the culture. Well, the church that gets planted there is affected by the culture around it. Much like we are today, the 21st century American culture, there's a little bit of that going on in Corinth in the 50s. And what you, what you have going on in the church in Corinth is you have in particular such sexual immorality, uh, but in particular you have this gentleman in their congregation who has, who's a proclaiming Christian and so you just think about him, he's the guy who like hands out tracks, he's got a, a, you know, a Christian fish decal on the back of his car, uh, you know, on his Facebook profile lists Christian, he posts sermon messages, right? This guy is broadcasting that he's a believer to everybody in the town of Corinth, and yet he's 
coming to meet with his life group, and he's, you know, when you're going to meet with your life group or your class, like you're talking beforehand, you're just kind of chatting, and he's just looking over at one of his buds, and he's like, guess what? I'm sleeping with my stepmom. High five, right? Yeah, I just slept with my stepmom. We've been doing it for a while. It's awesome. It's amazing. I love sleeping and having sexual relationship with my stepmother. It's awesome. High five, and guys are giving him high fives. Now, just imagine yourselves, you're in that life group and, you know, the food's getting ready and so you're just sitting around talking and you just hear one of your life group members give another life group member a high five because he's bragging about sleeping with his stepmother. How would you respond, right? Do you say something? Are you like, no, uh, no, no, we need to talk right now. Let's go outside, right? You and I, come on. Or, or are you just like, uh, this is awkward. This is literally the worst life group I've been a part of. I'm never doing life groups again. This is terrible. Is this how LifePoint does life groups? Is this every Christian? What is going on in the world, right? My guess is most of you are thinking of the latter. And that's the problem, right? Because it's getting out in the greater town of Corinth that Christians are okay with such, such sexual immorality, Paul writes in, in chapter five, such, such sexual immorality that even the pagans don't do that. Like there are pagan people, non-Christians, and they hear this guy saying, oh, I'm a Christian and I sleep with my stepmom. And they're like, we don't even do that. Those Christians must be crazy, right? Like this is, this is bringing this really bad public relations situation on the church in Corinth. And so the leaders of the church, they don't know what to do. So they write a letter to Paul and they say, Paul, can you speak to this issue? And so he writes 1 Corinthians to them. In the first five chapters, he deals with this specifically in chapter five. And while he's on the subject of sexual immorality, he decides to just go for you know, two chapters talking about this uh, and addresses us. And that's where we pick up in the story right here in chapter six. So we got that in mind. Paul's writing, here's what he writes. Uh, verse 12 of chapter six. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food, and God will destroy, uh, destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then make the members of Christ and make, uh, take the members of Christ and make the members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, and he's quoting Genesis here, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits uh, is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Life point, I want you to notice three things here in this passage. I'm just gonna make commentary on what Paul says. The first thing I want you to notice is that as Christians, we're to ask what is helpful, not what is allowed. What is helpful, not what is allowed. Paul writes, all things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. Or if you read it in a different version, all things are per permissible. And he's quoting just this, this common idea that's floating around in the Corinthian culture at that time. You've heard it said, all things are, are lawful. But I'm here to tell you that not all things are beneficial. Not all things are helpful. And so as a believer, what you should be asking, in fact, this whole conversation about the Bible and human sexuality should begin with this framework. Our job as believers is to ask what is helpful. It is not to ask what is permitted. Okay, so just to kind of give you an analogy here, I want you to imagine that you go to the doctor 
and the doctor does an examination of your body, and he says, hey, listen, after we've examined your body, we've noticed that you have cancer, like just a, you know, a little cancer right here in your body. Um, it's about a centimeter, and we're going to need to cut it out. We're going to need to do a uh, some type of radiation treatment. We're going to need to come up with some plan to get this out of your body, okay? Now, if you were at the doctor and this happened to you, my suspicion would be, based on my friends who've had cancer and gone through this, is you'd be pretty terrified, and you'd be in such a disposition. You would say, whatever you have to do to get this out of my body, get it out of my body. I don't want even a little bit of my body. Just get rid of cancer. Just get it out. Just get it out. Just get it out, right? What I don't expect you to do is to say, how much cancer is it? Um, a centimeter? That doesn't seem like that much. Uh, could you just like leave it in? What are the management treatments for this? Like how can I just manage a centimeter of cancer in my body? Because that doesn't seem like it's that much and it really isn't affecting my life day to day. So how can I keep on going the way I'm going and not deal with this, right? In fact, as I talk to my oncologist friends, other people, they've never, they've none of them have ever had a reaction like that. Almost exclusively, it's like, this is cancer, it will kill me, what do I have to do? And that's the way Paul envisions sinfulness, specifically sexual immorality, but all sinfulness. Sin is spiritual cancer. And even a little bit of it is harmful for your body, it's harmful for your soul. So you gotta do whatever you can do to get it out. And he's anticipating the Corinthian culture here who's actually in the opposite case. They're more of the people that are like, well, how much cancer can I have in my body and still function? Okay, well, let's just leave it in. I don't have to go through all that mess of radiation and surgery. I wanna keep living my life and sure the cancer will grow, but I'll manage it until it kills me. So yeah, that's great. And Paul is saying, no, 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 listen, you don't manage spiritual cancer, you cut it out, you get rid of it. He's, he's anticipating the comeback and he's saying this, listen, I know that all things are lawful. Sexual immorality is permissible in Corinthian society, it is. But that's not the question we ask as believers. We ask this question, what is helpful for my life in moving me closer to Jesus? And whatever that is, that's what I'm gonna line around. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time trying to draw a line and figure out how I can bump up against that line. I'm not a line watcher, I'm a God watcher. And so I wanna find out what is most helpful for me to move towards Jesus. And I wanna make sure the people of God understand the same thing. This is what Paul's writing. Now, I say this to you because maybe you're someone in life who has thought about that before. Like, well, how much sin can I actually let in my life and manage? How much can I sin and God is still okay with me? I th my suspicion is that most believers ask that question at some point uh, in their lives. Like, how much can I speed and God's still okay with me? Like, does God tear up when I go 71 in a 70 or is he just like, slow down, right? Like, how much can I break the law and God's still okay with me and it not affects my life, right? I think we, we ask that. But most importantly, <clears throat> I would say this, I think teenagers and young adults ask this question a lot because they're trying to figure life out. So I just want you to be prepared. If you're a parent of a teenager or a college student or you do ministry, maybe you serve in student ministries or you serve in children's ministry, just be prepared for that question. Someone is gonna come up to you, I promise you, as you're discipling them and they're gonna say, hey, as a Christian, how much can I sin in this area and God's still okay with me? And I think it'd be really appropriate for you to just open up 1 Corinthians 6, 12 and say, listen, all things are permissible as a believer, but not all things are beneficial. And as believers, our job is to ask not the question, how much is permissible, it's to ask what is most helpful for me moving towards Jesus in the Christian life. And if we have sin, our job is to cut it out, just get rid of it. Jesus actually went so far as to say, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. 
Yeah, we like to think about Jesus like puppy dogs and unicorns, right? Jesus just loved everybody. And Jesus said really hard things. Like if, if there's sin in your life, you do whatever you have to do to get rid of it. If your right hand is causing you to sin, cut it off, right? Do whatever you have to do. If there's cancer, cut it out. So that's, that's the first thing to notice. Second thing is this. Your body is a resource that ultimately belongs to God. Your body is a resource that ultimately belongs to God. Life point, I don't know if you know this, but when you get to heaven one day, God's gonna ask you what you did with the resources he gave you, your mind, your body, your relationships, your wealth, the air you breathe, like how much time did you spend sucking in air, um, you know, in service to the kingdom? He's gonna ask you about all those things. And Paul writes this. And one of the things he's gonna ask you about with your body is who did you interact with sexually? Did you interact with your spouse sexually? Did you interact with your, not your spouse sexually? And we're gonna have to give an account for that because our bodies are something God gives to us and he expects us as bond servants, as people who are following him to obey his commands about that. Primarily because he wants us to live a happy, healthy, satisfied, joyful, Christ-centered life, but also because he doesn't want us to be um, PR nightmares for the church out there living in society like this gentleman in 1 Corinthians 5. So I just want you to know soberly, if you don't know this yet, when you get to heaven, there's gonna be a little border check-in process like when you're going from the US to Canada or US to Mexico. Like I imagine you have to declare whether you're bringing fruit into heaven and there's gonna be that kind of situation. You know, did you accept Jesus? Yes, gonna have to check that off the box. And what did you do with your body? Uh, especially as it relates to sexuality. So just be forewarned. I don't want you to get to the border and say, no one ever talked to you about this, okay? So just write it down, there you go. So number one, we're to ask what is helpful. Number two, we're to ask or we're to understand that our body is a resource that ultimately belongs to Jesus. And finally, we're to flee from sexual immorality and instead glorify God with our body. To flee sexual immorality and instead glorify God with our body. Now, I just wanna make sure you note this. There's something consistent in the New Testament writers, okay? Some, some would come and say that the Bible is simply this ancient, archaic, outdated rule book of all these do's and don'ts. You know, do this, don't do that, don't run in the hallway, don't have fun. Uh, there's no fun in relationships, right? And you may have friends who, who think this way, but I wanna make sure you understand that Paul, Jesus, the New Testament authors are consistent in this. That whenever they say don't do something, they will also say instead do this. So for example, a couple weeks ago, we looked at Jesus in Matthew 5 who says, um, don't, you've heard it said, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Don't hate your enemies. Instead, love your enemies, right? So don't do this. Instead, do this. Well, here's what Paul's saying when it comes to sinfulness, but specifically sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality. Get away from it. Whatever you have to do, get away from it. And with that energy you have, instead, focus on glorifying God, okay? So if, if you're ever in a situation where you're, Tempted sexually, you need to flee from that and instead glorify God. A good example of this is something a friend recommended to me many years ago when I was in college. You know, you're, you're in college or maybe you're in your early career, like late teens, early 20s, especially if you're a male, there are all these beautiful women around you and they walk past and all of a sudden you just, your mind just kind of goes there and you're like, you're starting that process and you're like, what, what should I do? How do I operate? Uh, you know, should I just start saying Hail Marys? How does this work, right? And so my friend said to me, hey, if, if, there's ever, if you're ever tempted to objectify another human being, especially to objectify them sexually, just start praying for them, seriously. So most of, I just admit, confession, most of my freshman year was spent praying for a lot of girls, okay? 
because um, I went to Baylor University. There are a lot of pretty girls on campus, and so there was just a lot of prayer going on. I was just like, you know, oh, man, she's beautiful. Lord, I pray that you would just bless her and just make her someone who just loves you the most in all the universe. Amen. And Lord, pray for her, too. I just pray that you bless her. That sorority over there, just pray for them, right? So it's just that, right. But this is seriously, this is what Paul says we should do. And it's not like we just do it when we're young. He's saying for our entire life because, hey, men are tempted all of their lives sexually and women are tempted sexually all of their lives. And so I imagine Paul sees an older lady and, you know, there's, you know, young guy goes running by, he doesn't have a shirt on and she's like, oh, Lord, I pray for that guy that you would help him finish his run and next time that you would motivate him to put on a shirt as he goes by, right? Let's pray for modesty that he would love you, Jesus, right? So Paul says this, hey, flee from sexual immorality. Do whatever you have to do, get away from it and instead of all that, with all that energy, uh, glorify God, pray for people and focus on, on Jesus, so those are the first three things we learn there. And then Paul continues in chapter 7, and here's what he writes. Now, having framed it with we're moving towards what is helpful, Paul is now saying, hey, let's talk about what is helpful, the containment of sex, human sexuality. And here's what he says. Now, concerning the matters about which you wrote, and he's quoting them, it is good for man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And uh, I, I said this in the first service, but just remember this. I think Bill Clinton, when he was going through the Lewinsky thing, is actually quoting this. I do, I, I think this. Um, he said, I did not have sexual relations with that woman, right? So th this is Paul, what Paul's saying. You can kind of imagine him in a similar scenario where this guy has been like, oh, I did not have sexual relations with my stepmother. And, and, and he's like, uh, uh, about that matter right there. Let me, let me talk about that. Let me address this. And here's what he writes. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation uh, to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. Romantic, huh? Let's just, I want you to note that phrase. We're gonna get back to that. Like the husband, the score happens, dun, dun, it's the wedding day, and the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. There's like a, you know, a, a prison kind of vision that's going on there that we have. But no, Paul says, husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. Do not, Paul writes, do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer and then come back together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Three things, life point, I want you to, to notice quickly. Number one, Paul says not having sex is a good thing. Not having sex is a good thing. In our society, we would say not having sex, again, not Christian society, but kind of broadly American society, not having sex is a bad thing. Oh, you're not having sex? Oh, let me call somebody. We can find out a way to get you to have sex because sex is, you know, this cure for all that ails you in life. And Paul goes, no, 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 no. Actually abstaining from sex is a great thing. He would prefer that everybody, Paul would, that everybody would be single like him and Jesus. Let me make sure I just mention that. He would prefer that everybody like him and Jesus would be single so they could be singularly focused on Jesus, on his ministry, on advancing the kingdom and not be distracted by all these carnal things like sex and sexuality. And he just wants people to be focused. He doesn't want people to get bogged down with family and they move to the suburbs and they just live this life of convenience and they're driven by their kid's soccer schedule. He just wants people to be focused and do this and then he recognizes at the end of that statement that not everybody can, can accomplish that vision and it's probably not biblical or fair for everybody to be single, right? 
So he then just makes this uh, caveat. He says this, that um, because of the temptation of sexual morality, each man should have his own wife and each one her own husband. And what we take out of that is this, marriage is preferable to sexual immorality. Hey, I really wish everybody could be single. In fact, in Paul's vision, everybody, there is just a, there's a bunch of single people gathering together to worship Jesus, okay? So if you're a single person that's here today, you are Paul's vision, right? So just kind of, don't hurt yourself too much, pat yourself on the back, but you're Paul's vision. He says this, hey, I recognize not everybody can be single. That's, that's not a gift that everyone can step into. And some of you will be burning with passion for, for the opposite sex. So go get married. For Paul, marriage, uh, it's this solution to the problem of, of, of sexual temptation. And so for him, it's very economic. You know, you can see him, he's sitting down with a young, a young man counseling him. He's like, well, how are you doing today? How's your week? How's your soul? And the guy's like, man, you know, I'm just burning with sexual passion. And he's like, well, I got a friend named Rachel. She's a godly believer and she's ready to get married. I can perform your wedding this evening. And he's like, okay, that's cool. And so that evening Paul shows up and like, hey, Rachel, you know, here, here we go, let's get married. All right, solve that problem, moving on, right? So for Paul, it's very black and white. Like sex is something that happens only in the context of marriage. And so if you're burning with passion, get married. Okay, and then you are free to have sex within that marriage context. Marriage becomes the playing field uh, on which sex is, is performed as a sport, if we can use that crude analogy, okay? It's not played anywhere else. You don't play sex outside of the context of marriage. You don't play sex anywhere else. Sex is something that's for marriage. It's the solution. It's the God-loved, gracious gift to human beings that if they cannot step into the gift of singleness, then they can get married and, and sex can take place there. So sex or marriage is preferable to sexual immorality. And finally, sex is a marital duty. Sex is a marital duty. Here's how Paul thinks about sex. For him, it's not romance. It's not about like, you know, rated on a scale of one to 10. It's not about, he never describes it as like explosive or life-changing or any of those terms, right? For Paul, it's simply a conjugal right or it's a duty. And let me make sure I, I clarify what I mean by duty here. Um, duty is, is something not that your spouse owes you, that's an entitlement. Duty is something you owe your spouse, okay? Uh, an entitlement is what your spouse or what someone else owes you. And, and based off Facebook profiles that I see of you guys are in, during this election cycle, a lot of, many of you are opposed to entitlements and certain political candidates, right? Uh, you know, that kind of thing, right? So the, the marriage is not an entitlement. So I wanna make sure we understand that. Husbands, wives, it's not like you show up at home tonight after church and you're like, you heard what the pastor said. Let's uh, step into our conjugal duty here, right? Because, you know, there's March Madness selection and we need to kind of uh, take care of this, right? This is not something you demand from someone else. And remember, love, the context, love is giving of yourself, especially when it's inconvenient. And so for Paul, he sees the duty as something you owe to another person. It's you owe to your spouse in that. And it's on that note, I want to make sure I make our two very quick application points here. Uh, and then we wrap up. So just to recap, we're to ask what is helpful, not what is allowed. We recall that our bodies are a resource that ultimately belongs to Jesus. We're called to flee sexual immorality and instead glorify God. In chapter 7, Paul says, not having sex is good, but if you must, marriage is preferable to sexual immorality and that sex is this marital duty. So they're really, this is what's super simple. They're really two application points, very cut and dry. It's what I love about Paul's frankness. And the first one is this. If you're not married, stop pursuing sex. 
If you're not married, stop pursuing sex. Look, sex is something God designed for marriage. That's how you contain that fire. If you have sex outside of marriage, you are trying to burn your house down. You're trying to burn your life down. Stop doing it, just stop. Now, let me tell this story. When I was a brand new Christian, I became a Christian just before I turned 16, and my dad was not a Christian. Um, in fact, he didn't become a Christian until much later, until he was 50. Um, and so there was about a five-year period, six-year period, where I was trying to evangelize my dad, and I would try to counsel him on life and those kind of things. And he was divorced from my mom, and he had a string of girlfriends that kind of came over and stayed over. And it was one of those deals where as a 16-year-old, I had to learn like when there were two cars in the driveway and the lights were off and how to tiptoe through the house and that whole kind of thing, you know, like ring the doorbell, announcing your presence, because there's no text message. I couldn't just text. So I had to kind of navigate. If I brought friends over, I'd be like, oh, the lights are off. Um, let's go to Whataburger, right? Um, yeah, like one of those things, right? So I remember kind of in that context there, uh, I sat my dad down one morning. Um, and I said, hey, dad, the Bible says that you're not supposed to have sex before marriage. Like that, you know, like, huh, right? So I think what you're doing right now is immoral and it's gonna burn your life to the ground. And my dad, who's a lawyer, very smart, said, well, you know what, Doug? Um, I've already been married. And so I'm technically having sex after being married. So I think I'm all good with Jesus, <laughs> right? And it was at that point that I learned that sequence matters in logic, right? Like, oh, right? See, I'm used to communicating at that point to teenagers where you're like, no one's having sex, so don't have sex yet. But now I'm, I'm dealing with this adult and there's a whole new world. So I learned to modify this, which is, it's not don't have sex before marriage, it's don't have sex outside of marriage, okay? Marriage is the context. And so let me make sure I say that to those of you who may be here today and maybe you're divorced or you're single. Hey. This, this 1 Corinthians 7 is not just for teenagers, okay? And 1 Corinthians 7 is not just for young 20-somethings or 30-somethings. 1 Corinthians 7 is for all of us. And so if you're divorced here today, if you're not married, don't have sex. If you are having sex, stop having sex. It's cancer. It will burn your life to the ground. If you're burning with passion, if there's just a passion to have sex, there's a very simple solution. Get married, right? So just start prayerfully working towards that because marriage is the context for where you have sex. So if you're not married, stop pursuing sex. It will burn your life down. Number two, if you are married, start prioritizing sex with your mate. If you are married, start prioritizing sex with your mate. It is your conjugal duty, husband, wife, to have sex with your mate. And uh, what we tend, the advice we tend to give is the advice that was given to us uh, in terms of that duty and the kind of pace of that. You know, it, when, you, when it's early in life, if you're newly, uh, newlywed, um, you know, just married, uh, you should try to have sex tri-weekly, T-R-I weekly, W-E-E-K-L-Y. So three times a week, right? 10 years into marriage, you got a couple kids, you're taking care of them. Maybe your parents are getting older, you're taking care of them. You got career, you're busy. You should attempt to try to have, you should, you should have sex. You should try, T-R-Y, weekly, every week you should try one time to have sex, okay? That's your marital duty or a, a good benchmark there. If you're in your 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, right? You're spending more time in the hospital than in the home, right? Those kind of situations, right? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? So you should try T-R-Y, but very weekly, W-E-A-K-L-Y, okay? <laughs> And that's the whole of life. That's your entire marital duty. So I want you guys just to know that right there. If you take one thing away, there it is right there. Just a pastor says, okay, right. 
<laughs> no, <clears throat> on that note, let me, let me, let me make sure, okay, if you're, if, if you're married, it's your duty, you should start prioritizing sex. Let me speak to the husbands because the balance of probability here is that husbands are gonna push for this more than wives, right? I'm just speaking to reality. So let, let me just speak to husbands. Husbands, can we be real for a second here? Um, listen, th this is a priority. God calls it your duty. Remember, it's something you owe to your spouse but notice the vision he gives us, and I think he speaks to husbands specifically here about how you communicate the priority, how you communicate the, the conversation, right? He says this, do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourself to prayer, but then come back together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Again, Paul has in mind that husbands, with all of their sexual energy, they're focusing on their wives, and that's all they're talking to. They're, they're, that's all they're thinking about. That's everything. And that wives are focusing all their attention on their husband. There's no porn. There's nothing outside of the home. There's no sexual dalliances. There's no fantasies. It's just all on the spouse, right? And so husbands, when you come home and you got your energy and you're focused on your, on your mate there, here's, here's what Paul is kind of thinking. You walk in and you go, honey, I'm, uh, I'm feeling romantic. Um, this is our conjugal duty. I'm just trying to figure out if uh, maybe we should, you know, entertain this right now. You know, the pastor preached on this. This is the application. I really, for the first time, I wanted to apply the sermon immediately that afternoon. <laughs> so what are you thinking here, right? You're doing one of these things. And your wife might come, come back, husbands, where they go, oh, I'm just, I'm not feeling romantic right now. And so Paul has a very loving response. You go pray, seriously. You're like, you're coming in, you're like, should we? No, picking up your Bible, uh, I'll be right back, right? <laughs> and you walk off and you go pray and you read your Bible, you get through Genesis, you get to Exodus and you come back in and you're like, I got to Exodus, 50 chapters of Genesis, done. Are we, how are we feeling right now? And if she says no, you go, I'll go back to the Psalms, here we go, <laughs> right? Maybe Psalm 119, okay, just the longest psalm if you want that. And then you come back and then finally she goes, yeah, okay, let's, let's do this. And now you can come together and then uh, that should be the regular thing. Again, the only time you should avoid, the only time you should abstain is really for prayer and for your devotional life. Why? Because here's the thing, married couples, um, ha having sex as a regular part of your marriage, fulfilling that duty is actually a spiritual growth opportunity for you guys. And when you're not doing that, you need an equal spiritual growth opportunity. And that's why he says, go have a quiet time, husbands, wives, go have a quiet time. I, I, I want you guys to just, husbands specifically, keep that image in your brain because here's what I want you to avoid. What I don't want you to do is to go home thinking your marital duty is really a marital entitlement. And then you go attack your wife. I, I, I don't want us to do that. There, there, I don't want any abuse. I don't want any bad stuff there, okay? It, again, remember all of this. It, you're, the goal of this is to love your spouse, which is to give of yourself especially when it's inconvenient. And sometimes you come in, husbands, and you're like, I'm in the mood. And she says, I'm not in the mood. And that's incredibly inconvenient for you. Guess what? It's an opportunity to love your mate. You go, cool, I'm gonna go jump into Job here and we'll be fine and I'll come back later, right? Th th that's the way um, it's, it's negotiated. So just as a public service announcement to all the, the marriages out here, just make sure you hear me clearly. I, I, I didn't see too many wives hitting their husbands like this, so I feel like we're okay. And I should also mention there's no way to transition out of that into offering time. So, all right, here we go. We're gonna take the offering now. Hey, thank you guys. Listen, you guys could have been red-faced and kind of, you know, chest caving in and awkward. You guys did really well. So give yourselves a round of applause. We got through 1 Corinthians 6 and 7. I,
And here's the thing, my, my hope is this, my hope is this when we walk away after I pray and after the ushers come forward, and that is that we have healthier marriages that are, the marriage is in itself a catalyst for spiritual growth. And that we have extremely amazingly healthy single people whose lives are just this, this rocket shooting towards Jesus. I, I hope both is happening. And I hope that as we give counsel to one another and other Christians come to get counsel, that we're able to take them to 1 Corinthians 6 and 7 and help them see God's vision for marriage and for human sexuality. So on that note, let's pray and let's thank God and let's do offering and let's sing. Would you pray with me as our ushers come forward? Uh, Jesus, I thank you that you've given us such clear and frank teaching on uh, love and human sexuality. And, and I pray that you would mold us into the kind of people who really uh, pursue you with everything we have, who hate sin and who get it out of our lives, who flee from sin and instead we work on glorifying God. And Lord, for our single uh, church family members who are here today, I pray, God, that you would just mold them into just models of Christ-like character. And that as married friends come to them for counsel, maybe even on this issue, that they're able to dispense just clear wisdom from your teaching, from your Bible on this topic. And Lord, for our married couples who are here today, Lord, I pray that you would help them um, to just uh, glorify God in their sex lives, but to glorify God in their marriages most, but to glorify God in their individual lives with Jesus the most, most, most. And Lord, so I thank you for this clear teaching again. And I thank you for the opportunity we have to give offering and to put that in a plate. And I pray that you would, pray that you would bless it, uh, move it forward uh, to advance your kingdom in Collin County and beyond. I thank you for our worship team who's gonna lead us in another song that we get to sing some adoration and affection to you. Uh, and I thank you for our connection room back there um, and for uh, all the prayer that's gonna go on there afterwards. Lord, thank you for a good series. We eagerly look forward to Palm Sunday and to Easter. We get to celebrate Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen. Ushers are gonna move forward and pass